0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Questions like the one Jesus just received in today's gospel lesson are kind of like riddles, and I really like riddles. This riddle today is an interesting one. A woman marries a man, they have no children, that man dies and then she remarries her husband's or her former husband's brother and they have no children and on and on and she ends up marrying seven brothers having no children and then they all die and the leaders say so who gets to be her husband in the end? And I kind of like my answer before Jesus gave his answer, which is whoever she wants. That's who I think. But that is not exactly what Jesus says today in this gospel lesson. Jesus receives this question by the religious elite. These are the people who are effectively responsible for all of the Jews in Jerusalem and beyond. And they have begun to be annoyed with Jesus. At this point in the gospel lesson, Jesus has been out and he's been preaching and teaching and gathering lots of people and drawing too much attention to himself. And he's been doing it right underneath their nose and they are annoyed. And so now what they have begun to do is challenge him, asking him these seemingly impossible, ridiculous questions in order to prove to his followers that he's not who they think he is. And they think that they've got the tradition on their side. They think that they are so clever that they would ask questions like this in order to trap Jesus. And time and again, Jesus does not take the bait. Today is one of those moments. The Sadducees, one of those two big religious groups, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come to Jesus and they ask a question that matters to them. See, we might forget that the Jewish leadership at that point would have not been in sync together. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. We understand two different parties, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were effectively two different religious parties that didn't agree on a lot of things. One of those things was resurrection. The Pharisees, they liked the idea of resurrection. They thought that sounded great. And the Sadducees did not. They did not believe in resurrection. The gospel even says so. And the Sadducees, in order to disprove this idea of resurrection, goes at this little rabbi who has drawn a lot of attention to try and show how resurrection in general really makes no sense. So the question they pose is, functionally ridiculous. I mean, seriously, one woman, seven husbands, who is she going to have as a husband? That kind of question is so preposterous, but that it actually points to their own smugness, to their own sort of ugliness. Because the question that they ask, although we might read as ridiculous, is life and death for people at that time. See, these religious leaders, they were elite. They had the kind of safety net to fall back on. But most of the Jews did not. If a woman married and did not have children and her husband died, she was incredibly vulnerable. To marry again and to not have children again consistently made her incredibly vulnerable. And can you imagine how heartbreaking this would have been for that woman? If this story were true, imagine being married and not being able to have children and then having to be married again to not have children and on and on seven times and then losing your seventh husband without any children to then die alone. This is a tragic story that they are making up in order to catch Jesus. Their insensitivity in even asking him a question like this reveals that they just simply do not care. They are concerned with their own power, with their own authority, maintaining their own control of all the people. But Jesus does not take this bait. Jesus's rebuttal is pretty super smart. Jesus instead reframes the question, He uses the Old Testament text, the story of Moses against these people who believe they own this story. And instead he says, remember when Moses was at the bush. Remember when Moses told the story after speaking with God at that burning bush, he said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not was. These patriarchs who were long dead are still alive with God. God is their God today and will be forever. Jesus introduces us to this idea of God's reality. God's reality, this this thing we cannot see that we really cannot understand. Jesus is talking about something beyond what we can know, resurrection, This idea of resurrection is huge and is something that those who hear Jesus can't really understand. Now, although I like Jesus's rebuttal, I think he's pretty smart. I think that the question that Jesus responds to is important for us to vet with some genuine emotion. We all remember loved ones who have died. Last week, we celebrated all saints and all souls. For many of us, we remember loved ones who have died sort of in that sweet way. But for a lot of us, the pain of losing someone we love is still very raw. We may remember that person every day, multiple times a day, and that pain still hurts. We can be, if we're not careful, a little romantic, about the idea of what happens next, of resurrection of heaven. I think we all kind of like that idea that grandma's looking down on us and that we will at some point walk through the garden together and we will see these people again and we will be able to hang out with the friends that we have lost and maybe. But I think if we only limit resurrection, heaven, God's kingdom, to ways in which we understand the world, we are not quite giving God enough credit. Jesus is offering us a new world, a new reality, something beyond what we can imagine. You see, God is not only bigger than we know. God is bigger than we can know. What Jesus offers us is a vision and a hopefulness for a future, way beyond any of the pain and the heartbreak of this world. Resurrection is God's reality, something we simply cannot understand. And let me make very clear, we do not like stuff like that. We do not like things we cannot understand. We like an answer. We like to know the specifics. We know that people are attracted to certainty, and when we live into something that I might call mystery, that can make people just a little uncomfortable. Our world does not like mystery. We like to know the answers, and yet, as Episcopalians, we welcome mystery. We, in essence, create a structure that resists the need for certainty in order to embrace this incredible, open-ended, unimaginable vision that God offers us. Imagine what we are about to do in just a few minutes. Eucharist, when we celebrate the Eucharist, when we come around that table, we receive the real God. We are literally eating God's presence, filling us up. And do you understand that? I don't. Yet, I believe that kind of mystery is the open-endedness that can make us uncomfortable in the world, but is exactly what God is offering us, bigger than who we are, bigger than we can ever know, holy, unknowable, pure mystery. Jesus says that resurrection is real, that the faithful departed are alive in God, that we are alive in God now and will remain alive in God next. That is the truth, and that is mystery. True, resurrection, heaven, the kingdom is nothing that we can imagine, but we can hope. Today, Jesus offers his followers and indeed us a vision of this mystery, a vision of the reality that God lives in. We have the faith that can carry us toward that hope. Our world is for sure full of pain and heartbreak, full of misunderstanding and disappointments and full of hope and joy and love find the hope, hold on to the joy, and be agents of love. Because I, for one, am very grateful that God's reality is bigger than anything I can hope for and imagine. Because I definitely hope that I, like you, will see all of it very soon. Amen.